Funkateers, Bootsy here to bring the Truth and Rhythm family's attention to Funk Not Fight. Yeah, this is a call to action. We spread hope, not hate, uh, to gain satisfaction throughout our communities via the music uplifting unity. Uh, Peppermint Patty, tell us a little more. Thinker is our partner. Thinker music, that is. So please check the link that's scrolling across the bottom, click it, and submit your music. Let's all funk, funk not, not fight. fight. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. Brought to you by funkandstuff.net, this is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg.funkandstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Command Center multi-instrumentalist Orlando Phillips and his drumming brother Greg Phillips, founding members of Starpoint, one of the 1980s top R&B bands. Led by the lead vocals of Renee Diggs and featuring two more Phillips brothers, Ernesto and George, Along with Coyote Ademo, Starpoint released 10 albums from 1980 to 1990. Four of those records reached number 32 or higher on the R&B charts, and the band notched 12 top 40 R&B hits, including the 1985 crossover classic, Object of My Desire. 
Other top hits included What You've Been Missing, Restless, and He Wants My Body. The brothers continued to perform, and a six-CD box set of Starpoint's electric recordings was released in November. Greg and Orlando, so good to catch you. How are you today? Wonderful, wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, okay. uh, so good to catch you up. And whereabouts in the country are you right now? Um, Maryland. We're we're in we're technically in Severna Park, Maryland, but um, that's yeah, you know, that's where we are. <laughs> right. Where, where do uh, Orlando? Uh, Orlando's on the right, and uh, by the steering wheel, and Greg's on the left. Uh, if you're watching from my orientation, so um, where do you guys call home, Orlando? Where's home for you? Well, uh, mainly Annapolis, Maryland, for the most part. But I move around a lot. I don't stay in any one place too long. Yeah, same here. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know, I've been after you, uh, Greg, for for a long time to make this happen. Fans have wanted to get the Starpoint story and hear from you guys, Absolutely. so it's good to make it happen. Thank you so much. Yep. So um, going back to um, the uh, beginning, uh, basically, uh, I understand your, your, your father was a doctor and you had four musical brothers. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit, like, what was it like just coming up in a household with so much music? Well... There was a lot of music in the house. <laughs> um, uh, we also have uh, four sisters that, that are also musically inclined. But our parents, three, three sisters, <laughs> that were, I'm losing count. Um, but our parents were, um, you know, musically inclined too, being from the islands of uh, Trinidad and Tobago, mainly Tobago. And my mother is from Panama. My father was from Tobago. So we always had music in the house, both very diverse. My mother was a concert pianist at a, at a time, and um, they both sang. And so they always raised us with um, music and um, to listen to. And also uh, we were given instruments at a very young age. Um, each individual got instruments to uh, when we were in uh, elementary school and uh, things went from there. Yeah, we had a, uh, go ahead. We had a, we had a band. We started a band while we were in elementary school. And uh, my father, our father was uh, the head of a Crownsville <laughs> hospital. Actually he was in who's who America for being the first African-American um, superintendent of a state hospital. And uh, so that's where we grew up. And our first gig was actually for some of the patients at the hospital when we were like eight, nine years old. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know if I was. Well, I was I know I didn't have a drum set in the beginning. <laughs> I was playing on boxes and chairs and, you know, um, hitting on glasses with forks and knives and stuff. And then, you know, as you get older, I got my first drum set. Um, through my brother Ernesto, who actually influenced a lot of um, what we eventually became at Starpoint. You know. Who were some of your early musical heroes and idols and influences? Oh, my God. Well, that probably varies on both of us. Right. Um, I, I know I was 
uh, very much into in the beginning, you know, as, as music came in, I think I started, we were in America, so it was, you know, the typical, I was in the, like, horn bands and Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears and Tower of Power and, uh, um, and then because of our parents, you know, I listened to a little classical, I mean, I went from everything, and then jazz kind of became my thing, especially as a percussionist, um, there was a lot more going on with percussion. And, um, you know, so mine, and then rock and roll, of course, you know, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Yes, um, and some odd named groups like Hatfield in the North and uh, Gong, Gentle Giant. I was into all kinds of stuff. I was really into uh, a lot of different kinds of music. And then, of course, the Caribbean. So, because that was part of our heritage. You know, yeah. So basically, we listened to everything. Uh, Greg was, uh, like he said, was a lot of jazz and uh, influenced us. We actually had a four-piece side group um, that was like the group um, uh, Chikoria. We turned it forever. We turned it forever. We did a lot of their material. Billy Cobham stuff. Billy Cobham, yeah. You know all that stuff. I mean. So we did a whole all kinds of stuff. I was also into um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Jacksons, you know, that yeah. was we, everything, you know, everything that was out there, we soaked it all up. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Marvin Gaye, I mean, you know, Motown, all that. Yeah. What Was there any uh, performer that you guys saw either together or independently when you were young that you just were really blown away by and you're like, I want to do that? Um, I think we just wanted to do all of it. <laughs> we wanted to be in a situation where we could be performing and playing and enjoying music in front of people. Uh, I mean, that's that seemed like to be a lot of fun. I mean, that kind of grew on us as we got older and, and got more um, seen, you know, doing it with the group and uh, the appreciation from, from people. So... You know, it's kind of a gross thing, you know, when you're um, learning music and, and, and experiencing it in front of audiences. Uh, it kind of grows on you. There's a couple of concerts that stand out to me. Um, one was, uh, it was Carlos Santana, Michael Jackson, the Jackson Five. Um, Carlos Santana and Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was a show at Coldfield House in, in uh, Maryland University, and that yeah. was that was incredible. And then another show was Return Forever, seeing them up close, like four rows back. So those things really were, uh, you know, it's like wow, I want to do that. Yeah, definitely. So how and when did you guys connect with uh, Renee? Oh, what year was that? Oh, what year? Don't ask me what year. <laughs> uh, we we were we were in high school. We were in high school. So yeah. probably if you want to say years, probably somewhere around seven nineteen seventy. Yeah. And uh we're we had, still living at home. Still living at home. We had a local band. And um at some point my brother George actually introduced Renee. 
George had some friends. Renee was in a group, a trio group. And the, the trio was George's wife, his sister-in-law, now, and Renee. George's wife, Gayla, uh, Gayla's sister, Carlisa, and Renee. They were a trio, and they sang in a band. And um, George thought, hey, Renee should come check us out. Ernesto actually started dating. He introduced her to Ernesto. He started dating her. She joined the band, and that's how we... Yeah, because Ernesto at this time, at that time, Ernesto had um, kind of, you know, band leader position and was a big influence on um, the the uh, direction of the band. I mean, everybody had an influence, but he he's, he pushed it pretty hard and um, until the end, until uh, until the nineties, through all of through it, start start point everything. It started to diversify later, but um, he was the main influence as far as Starpoint goes. All the way till, till the last day yeah. of his life. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you guys know that you uh, wanted to have a female up front doing a lot of the singing? Um, was that something that just developed or you had in your heads or what? Um, well, a lot of our local stuff we did, it was, to, I don't think most of us, we, we had different opinions on that in the group. And we didn't really think about most it Most of us hard. didn't think of it that way, but the record label and our producer, that's the direction they went, was to have her as the Once, once we got signed, it was, it was kind it, of pushing it, toward. It, it was pushed that way, yeah. <laughs> And which which is kind of common in the music industry because who has ever joined the lead welcome? Plus, she was the only female, and her voice was incredible. incredible. So, um, but but we, uh, Ernesto and George both sang lead as well, and they Ernesto well both they had incredible voices, but um, the record company wanted to focus on Renee, so that's what happened. Yeah, and she wasn't too bad to look at either. <laughs> Who would you say were some of her top singing influences, if you had to name them? Oh, my God. Chaka Khan, for sure. Because we we did a bunch of Rufus and and all. We did that stuff in the band days, yeah. in the early days. So I, I would say that. I mean, that's probably the closest one uh, you know, that I can think of. Definitely Chaka yeah. Khan. But she's got a much higher range. Yeah, he's got a but, larger range, though. So I don't really know. Well, besides that, that she was. Yeah, I never really asked her about that, but then you know, mm-hmm. where what what pushed her? But it's incredible voice. Oh no, I remember one one gig, or it was probably in the basement when we were rehearsing or something. And she hit this note, and I got you know when you hit the note and you get a chill hair raising off the, your back, it was just like, whoa! And um, I'm getting a rush now. I'm thinking about it. Goosebumps. But um, yeah. that, it was just like, whoa, and um, so we were always very happy to have her playing with her and gigging and doing all that stuff. Yeah. So now you were a different name before you got signed and became Starpoint. Is that correct, or were you Starpoint when you got signed? Yeah, we the the name was created. Just before we got signed, yeah. So um, we were pretty well 
rehearsed and had done a lot of gigs. And um, I think the inspiration is we were working to get signed. That right. was our goal. That was our goal. And we felt like we needed a better name than the one we had. You know, the name we had was, I don't know if you have that, is Lee Cindiana, which Lee Cindiana, which was Lisa, Cynthia, Diane, Anna, which is our three sisters and my mother's name put together. My father came up with the name. We, we used that name for many years. But when we decided to get a record company, a record contract, we said, well, we need a better name, you know, more easier name. Right. And that's how it became. And that story is kind of interesting because um, we had a, a friend from Guyana, uh, another Caribbean guy. And um, we used to work on cars and stuff um, when we were younger. And um, I think one day we were in, in the garage working on something and he was there. And um, in Guyana, he called the uh, a, a Phillips screwdriver. A star point screwdriver. Now that's where we got the name. Yeah. Um, Phillips star point. Yeah. It, it seemed to, you know, have some cohesiveness to um, what we were doing and represent what we were about and who we were. And did you ever have any confusion with some of the other, you know, groups that had star in the name, like yeah. star and Atlantic yeah. star and, Later, five star and yeah. What was that say? Star Fisher, star something. What was that say? We did a gig star with. guard. Yeah, we did. We did a tour, uh, a short tour. It was the Carolinas, and it was the Star Tour. It was us, Star Point, Midnight Star, and Atlantic Star. Atlantic Star, and we did a series of shows together. Probably about a six week tour or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly in the Carolinas. It was fun, though. When you guys got your record deal, um, Chocolate City Records, which was a subsidiary of Casablanca. Um, Polygram, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys, you know, were you shopped around a lot, or how did you get your deal? Um, we went Our manager, producer, Lionel Job. Lionel Job. He was very connected in the in the whole music industry he knew everybody he uh he was he was a um, he was worked for the for gulf and western uh, publishing and so he knew he knew everybody and he, so, he had yeah. already had some groups under his belt and he's all he's he's also from trinidad and tobago so there was kind of a weird connection there but he he liked the band we got a demo to him and um it turned out being him and he listened to it and that's how we got our first record deal with um, Polygram through him. He was our producer and manager, which <laughs> which was we found out later on was What's not the, the best way to do it. But um, yeah, he he pretty much all our contracts he he managed them. Yep, yep, every last one. How did you feel when you first went to the studio to cut that debut record, uh, nineteen eighty, your self titled album? I was excited. Very excited. Uh, I was actually... We were in New York, right? We had the... Yeah, we did the first record in New York. We're laying tracks. Back then, as far as the drums go... Everything was live. Everything was live. The whole band... the the, Me, Ernesto, Orlando um, basically did the tracks. 
like all together. Um, so the first few albums, you, you can hear that it's just us jamming, and then we would put stuff on top of it. Vocals would come later, whatever else later, percussion, you know, keyboards. But that's how we recorded most of it, lot kind of live in the studio. Me you and Estelle, a, you had a top 20 hit on that debut. Um, I just want to dance with you. Yeah, that um, was our first single. Very first single, yeah. Do you remember first hearing your material on the radio? Yes. Yes. That was incredible. Yep. Incredible feeling to hear your song. I don't know what station that might have been WHUR. I don't know what station. I just know it was played a lot. Yeah, but the first time you heard it on the radio, it's like, "Wow, there's our song!" Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You hear ourselves, you know, performing. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah, nothing like that. There's just nothing like and that. And every time we, every, you know, every song was, that we heard was like, "Wow, there's another one of our songs." <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still get excited. Uh, not excited, but you know. It's nice to hear um, Object of My Desire or any one of our songs being played on the air. You know, there's that excitement that that's us. <laughs> um, there's nothing like that. There's nothing better than that, uh, you know, to hear because it's, you know, it's a lot of people are, are hearing it as well as you. So there's some excitement. I should say, I have a relatively new friend that I met uh, less than a year ago. And my wife and I, we just like hanging out with them all the time. And um, it turns out he was a big Starpoint fan back in the day before I knew him. And so we'll go out somewhere and he'll go and, um, you know, those jukebox things. He'll go put Starpoint on. Every time I hear a song, I'm like, oh, there we are. I'm like, oh, you played it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I thought I'd throw that in. Yeah. But yeah, it's helping always nice. Helping promote you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, talking about Renee's influences so on that first record, um, You're My Sunny Day. Um, to mm. me, I hear a little Tina Marie type thing in there. There were some things that were like, yeah, that remind me of Tina Marie. You're right. That's, um, then Ernest Ernesto Richards. and Renee wrote that together, didn't they? Or I, I know Ernesto, Ernesto wrote it. Ernesto definitely Renee wrote it. Co wrote it. I don't he know. wrote most of the songs on the first four albums. Or co-wrote at least, but um, yeah, he did a lot. Uh, incredible what he did with a lot of that stuff, a lot of writing, um, and and management really. A band leader, you know. Yeah, that's a great song. I've, I haven't thought about that one in a while. Yeah, it's real bre breezy, nice. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Those first uh few records so like you said playing live more and you know i felt like star point you know at least in the probably the uh, chocolate city um era yeah. was a little a little more funk focused than later yeah. it was more like r&b and and um pop r&b elements and dance and that kind of thing but early on you guys had a lot of funk in your music yeah yeah and you know the the that's very true, and the um, which is going over well in Europe. Um, they there's uh, we we were in France and and 
the um that's the kind that's what they really like there's uh we were in leon leon france and um we did a show there and their their favorite song was wanting you which came from i think the third album fourth one of those two yeah third or fourth i think it's a fourth third third yeah <laughs> yeah well i think because you guys had two that came out in the same year in 1981 so yeah you guys were really hitting it a lot we're putting it out there yeah um but tracks like uh shake it out and um keep on it i mean those are serious funk oh yeah Orlando wrote shake it out yeah yep we wrote that one what were your uh what were your, what were your guys shows like early on um man incredible i mean uh incredible our first our, my first memory of our first kind of major show was at the warner theater um and we opened which is in dc we opened for um larry graham and um that that was a great show warner theater nice. i think it was our first concert as a recording band Yep. And it was in Washington, so that was pretty exciting. Yeah, a lot of people came to that. It was a great show. Um, I'm going to throw this in there. Almost every show, except for the shorter ones, I I did a drum solo. There was a... That was a highlight of the show. One, one, a highlight right before we did our hit song or hit songs um, that I, I would do a drum solo for about, I don't know, 10 minutes. Um, and uh, with every show, I mean, except for when we were, we were in. We had a short. Sometimes we had to do a short, you know, thing. When we were doing uh, California, we were doing in Florida. We did the um, oh the Disney, the Disney, the Disney yeah. World and Disneyland. Land. Those. those were short shows. There were short shows, like half hour or something. So we didn't really have time for my jumps a little. But other than that. Every show, I did it. So, because uh, Ernesto thought, um, he he thought a lot about my um, jazz playing and and drumming, and so he thought that that should be in the show, and he pushed that a lot. Um, so I didn't have any problem with it, um, except it was it's kind of a focus on me. That, that I learned a lot from it because. You have to kind of do a it can't be just whatever you play whatever you it's got to be put together and it's got to you know be attractive to the kind of audience that you're playing so i even though i liked a lot of jazz i couldn't do just i mean it had to be something that people could um, grab a hold on and understand so it went too far out so the other thing is that music was big for us not just singing so i mean there was a bass solo yeah i had a bass, had bass, bass guitar solo, solo. Yeah. ernesto it was incredible on guitar, guitar he could solo. play he could play anything i mean like i said he was he could play al Demiola, jimmy Hendrix, you know any famous guitar player he could play what they play right so um he had you, you hear his solo on object i mean that's an incredible solo on that on that record and that's how yeah. he, he shoot. He could play just about anything. That was probably a one take solo too. And, uh, so, music was a big part of it, not just singing, you know. And which, you know, 
record companies, they do focus on the vocalist, but live is where we got to put out what we are about. So it was definitely musicianship. It was to me was more fun than the recording studio recording. Yeah. So it's live. I'm still, I still prefer live even today. So over recording. (laughs) Yeah. That's the beauty of what they call the old school, you know, is real playing, you know, real instruments. Uh, What, what instruments did you uh, most usually play on the live shows in the earlier years, Orlando? Well, in Star Point, I played uh, bass guitar and I played keyboard bass. Uh, that was it, you know. Um, but I, um, I also played tenor sax, but um, we we didn't incorporate that into our shows. It really wasn't into our shows. So I was mainly drums. I, I think maybe in the earlier shows, I might have sang background vocals. Yeah, background vocals. Greg and I both did that. But other than that. Never, I never sang lead on anything. Um, what, what was that? What was it, Ernesto, who who kind of um, you know led the charge in terms of you know what your aesthetic would be in terms of you know costumes and you know style and presentation? That, yeah, he played a yeah, part in that. We were we were all. I don't know. It was, I don't know how we how we came to an agreement. A lot of times. Everybody wore what they wanted to wear. Uh, there were some styles. No, 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 no. Well, in the beginning, like if you see on Keep On, the Keep On It album, and uh, um, you can see the change in, in wear. And I, and I was, I, if you noticed, I didn't like wearing that stuff. I, you know, I went along with it because it was, you know, the group thing, and Ernesto thought it was. And everybody thought well, that was the way mostly to go. record label stuff and labels. We had so we stylists. had costumes, you know what I mean, and um, Jerry curl in your hair. I mean, I, I I didn't. If you notice, I didn't do any of that. I got away with not doing that. And then I also I, I always pushed to wear because I looked at a lot of rock bands too, and they would just kind of wear what they wanted to wear, and I just that that's what we should do. So we eventually moved kind of in that direction. Um, but I think it came back. Then we were wearing, in like in 1990, we had some, well, there wasn't costume clothes. It was just. Well, know. there was a spandex outfit, I remember. Yeah, that was a, the 80s. A local 80s. friend in, a, in Annapolis, Maryland, actually made our Made our outfits. uniforms, yep. It, it just, it, you know, the a theme was, um, I don't know how we came up with a theme. I, we were all involved, had some input, but right. it was a lot of influence by label and by whoever the stylist, mm-hmm. the uh, costume designer, whoever it was. But if you notice the album, the album started to get more natural. You know, they were wearing like jeans, you know, stuff like that. I, I know I pushed a lot, a lot on that because I didn't want to wear that stuff. You can definitely see the, the look evolving over the album covers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your last record on Chocolate City, um, it's so delicious. Um, I felt like um, some of the influences of the time were coming through in your music a little bit, like some little Minneapolis sound influence yep. and yep. Um, that kind of thing. You know, how'd you guys feel about what was happening outside of you at that time musically? Well, for me, I was into a lot of that stuff. So, and I think we, 
not trying to mimic, but that was the kind of sound that was at that time. And and um, I think Ernesto wrote that way. I mean, when we wrote, it was in that direction because that's where, what was going on, you know, to keep up with the times and what's, what was happening at that time. Like I, we eventually ended up doing more hip hop stuff at the end because that was what was happening then, you know. Wow. Keep it pop, but just with the times that were kind of pop and selling at the time, you know, with our own original spin on it. We were consistently, though, influenced by our producer because, and the record label, because they would listen to songs and say, I like this one, I don't like that one. So sometimes the ones they liked might have gone that certain direction, you know. So we were definitely, it wasn't all on, it was part of what I didn't care much about the record business because you had to kind of give them what they wanted, sort of. We, I think we had a little bit more control um, as time. Like by the time we got to Object That My Own Desire, then the, then the teams were sort of starting to go our way. I think George, what was it? Hot to the Touch. Well, Object My Desire, that was Restless. That was produced by Keith Diamond. Yeah, that was. He pretty much decided everything. Right. The song was on the album. And the, the song was Yeah. Keith Diamond decided it all. Yeah, he produced uh, the it. label, though, is the one that picked Object as the single. As because a we single. were looking at other songs. Um, There's a lot of hit songs on that record, on the rest of the album, I think. But um, yeah. Object so, got picked out of it. And, you know, that's how it goes. When they picked it, I was like, really? That's the one you want? <laughs> but it, it worked. <laughs> and it was pushed. It was pushed, you know. And of course, they, they pushed. But it worked. I mean, people loved it. Yeah. And they still love it, you know. So, yeah. Well, given how you thought about the time, you must have been very surprised that it even like crossed over to pop too. Yeah, that was that was a nice treat, and uh, that had a lot to do with why we went on tour with uh, Morris Day, because we hit the pop audience. And Morris Day was kind of pop. So yeah, and at that time, actually, um, Keith Diamond had just finished um, producing. Billy Ocean, that Caribbean Queen. He had just finished doing yeah. that when he started us. And, and and another connection, he was from the Caribbean too. From yeah, so that they were kind of like that I don't know, coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences, but I think that's kind of what might happen because Lionel and Joe knew, you know, Keith Diamond, and, um, and when he got brought into the, to the mix, this happened. Good thing. You know, you had this advantage of being brothers that came up playing together and you had that unique chemistry that a lot of groups can't get no matter what they do. Um, True. So I'm thinking that was some advantage. Um, do you agree with that? And also, were there any disadvantages of, of being all brothers? Well, definitely the advantage having, uh, you know, playing together. We like, if there was a little ad lib lick, you know, that I do on the bass, Greg would we do it at the same time, you know, a little extra bump or whatever. And Ernesto. Yeah. So, I mean, the gelling was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Um, being brothers, the the, the um, willingness to accept somebody else to tell you what to do was, was challenging. That was challenging. You know, because it's family, so it's brothers. You know, you, brothers don't always get along. So it's like, 
that was that was a difficult decision making was tough. Tough. But we we got through it. We did, you know, considering got through through it. We did well. I mean, we got it along. How how proud were your folks? Did they uh you know, were they around long enough to see you get the success you had? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, they're very proud. Very, very proud. Absolutely. It must have been something I bet you did a sort of homecoming show at one point or another, you know, where you were playing kind of for your home home crowd and had kind of made yeah. it. Do you remember? Oh that? yeah, yeah. We did all that. Um I think even with the the object of my design, the um, restless record. Um, I believe my cousins came out, flew out. So where do we play that? Was it Atlanta? I think it was Atlanta. We had a show out there, and some of the family flew out to the show. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of participation um, from the from the parents. That I mean. They kind of put us in that situation. My father, when we started, I mean, he built a he built a little stage for us, like in the house. You know, we used to perform. You know, like we were gonna be on some stage. He actually had a stage built in the basement. So they they were a big influence, and we're very happy when we reached a certain amount of success. Yeah, always when, very supportive. When Object and Restless hit like it did, you know, how did it change lives for you guys? Um, <laughs> we were noticed a lot more. I, I mean, you know, I think, um, I think the end is when we um, went to the, uh, we got those jackets. Remember that when we had the the black jackets with the name on it, Star Point. We went down to town. There is a guy that we know. I had a friend that I um that makes guitars. His name is um, Paul Reed Smith. PRS guitars, and his his explosion of his guitar kind of happened at the same time as uh, it was in 1985 when Reston said. And I remember going to he and he used to have a party like every every year, a uh, company party. And I remember us going there to the party and wearing those jackets and we were well received. It was a lot of fun, you know. Not only that, uh, the support we got from the record label was incredible. incredible. We went from that's when we started, I think that's when we first started. We either started a no. That's when we started using two tour buses instead of one. Yeah. One for the band and one for the crew. That's true. And uh, yeah. I mean, the, the tour support was just, you know, out of this world. We stayed in the most fancy hotels. And when we were in L.A., we went and did Soul Train. And, right. And that's uh, right. Soul Train. The, the, the record label really pumped us up a lot. So uh, the success, you know, breeded more success, basically. It was a drastic change when that when Restless when it came out that album. Um, I, and also touring during that time, we were I think it it was real hot. Luther Vandross was hot at the time. Yeah, and we got a show. Uh, we were doing we did a whole like six months with him or something. And it was three months. We did three months with Morris with um 
Isley, Jasper Isley, it was. And we also did Isley Brothers. I don't know. Well, we did Isley Brothers before that, but but eventually they were Isley, Jasper Isley. We did three months with them, and then and uh, and Luther, and that's during that tour is when we received our gold um, album from at Madison Square Garden. We did a, show, a show, Madison Square. We opened for Luther Vandross and the Osbys. They were on the show. That's the whole tour was us three. And uh, so that was one of the best tours we had. And then Morris Day in the Time was another. Those were the two best tours that I feel we ever did. They were just incredible. The, the audience was, you know. And like crazy. said, we had tours of, of larger tour support. So. Um, right. Tour support. And the fans were just incredible. And uh, Yeah, big difference. Yeah. Who who came I on? They had a party every night. They had a they had a party after every show. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, a lot of parties. Yeah, there was one party that um, God, we did one show with Luther, and uh, it was Aretha Franklin's birthday, and she came to the show, and uh, after the show, um, you know, they had a, a ice sculpture for her. And, I don't know if you remember that, but we after the show we backstage, you know, she was there, and um, that was a great show. Incredible, yeah. Were you still doing drum solos, or did you drop that from yep. the show? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. With I Morris, met, uh, go ahead. I met. Um, oh, we met. There is one show I was really impressed. We we were in California and. Um, uh, Miles Davis and Sissy Tyson came backstage, and um, uh, that, remember that? I and, feel like that was in New York. That was in New York. No, that was in St. Louis. Well, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, I remember meeting Miles Davis in New York. He was, he was. I turned around. I was doing my drum solo, and turned around. You know, happened to turn around, and, was, and Miles was standing there watching me. I thought I was going to get a gig. <laughs> that never happened, but um, um, one of my friends that was, uh, I've been working with him, um, he was on, he happened to be on the show. And um, that's kind of why he was there. But um, And to see us. And, um, but that was amazing to see him. And he was, he was with Cicely Tyson. I think that was his wife at the time. Um, yeah, that was a serious power couple right then. Wow. Absolutely. Serious. Yeah. You know, I think when I look at your history, the labels just supported you guys very well throughout. I mean, you had like three or four singles off almost every album, and you guys did a lot of videos, as I remember. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of groups didn't get that kind of support, you know? Right. That's true. Yeah. We had, and we had a, um, a good management management uh, company that got us with um the certain artists that we played with so that that also was helpful well, lionel joe he was very uh, tight with uh bob krasnow who was the uh, head of polygram um, well eventually he was the head of the label I, I forget label names but yeah bob krasnow was uh was the main dude in the record company yep. and um, Lionel Joe was tight with him. They were, you know, 
So a lot of good gigs came out of that. Uh, he would push him to, to, to promote us, you know, to, to spend money on us, you know. It worked out well. Yeah. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.